a joy to be with you tonight and to be part of your service. I <clears throat> was born and raised in Alabama, and I spent, oh, I guess 21 years old when I left Alabama. I did not do much traveling before I was 21 years old, and when I was 21, my wife and I were married in July of 1955, and then in October. August of 1955, we went to Milwaukee uh, to study in the Milwaukee Bible Institute. So I did graduate from Milwaukee Bible Institute in 1958. So your weather is just uh, really foreign to us. Um, I also have been working in the Philippines for 24 years, and we never see, we never see all temperatures under 75 degrees in the Philippines. I can't even believe I ever remember it being 75 there. So I think it'd be safe to say it's between 80 and 100 most of the time in the Philippines. So when you get down to 7 degrees as it is tonight, I guess the weatherman here is pretty accurate, no? <laughs> Supposed to be down to 7 degrees. Well, man, that would just blow our thermometers to pieces over in the Philippines to get down to 7 degrees. And uh, we really are not accustomed to that. And you might have to bear with me a little bit. My throat is not cooperating and my sinus is not cooperating. But anyway, we've been 24 years in the Philippines, and you know, by the way, this coming Sunday, I will be crossing the 55-yard 55 55-yard 55 marker. No, 50, 50-mile marker in age, you know. <laughs> but uh, it's been a real joy. It's a real joy to be with you. Now, open your Bibles, if you will, to Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. And while you're doing that, I'm going to say this. Now, we're going to be speaking this Sunday in Sunday school, then in the worship service, and then Sunday evening. But I kind of want to give you something to think about for you to think about between now and uh, this Sunday. Uh, our topic uh, in the Sunday school is going to be very simple. Why the Apostle Paul? Now I know that immediately you're going to say, well, he's the Apostle to the Gentiles. Well, that's true, but I believe there is something more to, to the answer than that. That is, he's an apostle to the Gentiles. I believe there's something else that we are missing. And it has to do with missions, really. It has to do with missions. So all of this week, or that is tonight and all day Sunday, we're going to talk about missions. But everything we're going to say, everything we're going to teach is going to be based upon the teaching of Paul and also upon Paul's uh, ministry and upon Paul's example. So remember that. Now Sunday morning, Sunday school will be why Paul. Then the Sunday morning worship is going to be very simple. How come or how is it that God was able to use Paul in such a way and how come God was able to use this man to do such a great job? What is it that was in the life of this man, Paul, that made him so great? And let's change it. What made him so usable by God? And I think you'll agree with me, and if you don't, you don't agree with the Bible, that uh, Paul said, I labored more than them all. I, I labored more than all of the other apostles. He said, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul did more than any man outside of Lord Jesus Christ, as far as the ministry of the Word of God rightly divided on this earth. And I think we should take a few moments in each of our lives and say, why? How come? Is there something very special about this man? Is there something about this man that uh, is real special and we cannot imitate him or we cannot learn or we cannot do? Well, I say, no, there's nothing special about him. I think that as we study the Word of God, we're going to see that it's very simple. That is, uh, it is very simple, but very hard to really obey and to follow this apostle. But yet, at the same time, it's a very simple thing. In fact, there's two things about Paul that the Word of God says about him. And the two things are very simple. All right, now. Those are, those are the two things we're going to talk about on Sunday. Then Sunday night, we'll be showing you our slide presentation about the work in the Philippines. And uh, 
in all of the messages that we're going to bring, it basically is going to bear upon our ministry in the Philippines. And then Sunday night, we want you to come because we want to show you exactly what God has done in that country and what uh, we are doing and what we have to do in the days ahead. Now, I know that many of you are concerned about the Philippines because it is making headlines today in our papers. And uh, I want to say a few things tonight about it, and uh, that is this. The papers are not presenting the true story about the Philippines. The papers in the U.S., I am fully convinced now, is leftist and communistic leaning. They are not telling you the truth, and it's sad. And I tell you, they're not telling little white lies. <laughs> You know, they're just telling great big ones, you know. And it's a shame what the press gets away with. And not only that, I am surprised as I travel around, surprised that so many Christian people believe what the press says. But listen, in relationship to the Philippines, they're not presenting the right picture. Why? Well, let me tell you. They're trying to tell you, trying to convince the American public that President Marcos is a vicious dictator and that the good guys or the guys in the mountains are the opposition. And they're saying that President Marcos should be thrown out of office and the opposition should be placed into office. Well, I will tell you that President Marcos is not a vicious dictator. And I will tell you that if the opposition comes in, then communism comes in because the opposition is controlled and by and large communistic. Now, if any of you might remember the days when Cuba, I mean, when Castro was in the mountains, you know that the press in America just praised this man. The New York Times said that he was the, he was the George Washington of Cuba. Well, Castro came out of the mountains, they ran out Batista and... Castro came to office and they found out that he was not the George Washington, but he was a communist. They said that Somoza was the bad guy, vicious dictator. The good guys were the guys in the mountains, the agrarian reforms, you know, and all of that. Well, they drove out Somoza. He's dead. The so-called good guys came out of the mountains and they were Sandinistas. Well, they're communists. They're saying the same thing in El Salvador. And they're saying the same thing about the Philippines. President Marcos is pro-American, pro-free enterprise, pro-free freedom of religion. The opposition is by and large communist and communistic controlled. We have complete freedom in that country to teach and preach the word of God. We have more freedom there than you have in America. We can go into public schools, we can go into marketplaces and teach and preach the word of God, pass out literature in any places public schools we can preach and teach the word of God you don't even dare mention the name of God here in this country do you in the public schools we can there we do not fear the forces of Marcos or the military we fear the communistic forces the communists have killed at this time that I know of five of our leading elders in our churches right before I left killed a friend of mine who I saw grow up in a grace church and knew the message and young man with a family communist came to his place and wanted them wanted him to join them and he would not join because we teach against communism and they caught him out in the rice field and killed him we don't fear marcos we fear communism the leftist press in america today is gradually gradually swaying the minds and the public opinion in America towards leftist tendencies, socialism and communism. And also, the so-called peace movement is bringing a philosophy upon us. And that philosophy is simply, it's better to be red than dead. And this is all coming about through the peace movement and also the press in this country. America has a great interest in the Philippines. We have two of the largest military bases outside the United States in the Philippines. A very important basis to that part of the world. The Filipino people are basically pro-American. 
And so I do ask and solicit that you pray about that country and pray for President Marcos that he may not be overthrown, that he may remain in power so that we will continue to have the freedom to teach and preach the Word of God rightly divided as we have it now. Very, very important. We have freedom of movement. We don't have to ask the military to go from one island to the other or one city to the other. We can move freely. We have a radio ministry that we are teaching the Word of God over ten commercial stations covering all central and southern Philippines with the gospel of the grace of God. No limit is put upon us. No military man is there watching us. Complete freedom to teach and preach the Word of God. But if the communists come in, you know that we will not have that freedom. All right, let's read our Bible, shall we? Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. We'll continue to talk about these things as we move on into Sunday. But anyway, let's go into the Word of God tonight. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Now, I hope that you hear this verse enough, that is, tonight and Sunday, so that when the Sunday meetings are over, now, this verse is going to be ringing in your mind, in your ears. I really believe that this is a key verse in the Word of God. And I really believe that if we obey this verse, that we do not have to worry about the confusion, religious confusion, that exists in the world today. Those things that you have learned, received, heard, now, a lot of us would love to put a period there because, you know, it's very easy to, to learn, very easy to receive, and it's very easy to hear. Huh? But it's very hard, seen in me, do. But I'm glad Paul didn't put a period there either. You know that? And a God of peace shall be with you. Now, that's always interested me because the God of peace shall be with you. And listen, I, I testify to the fact that this verse is true because many times I have to rely upon this verse as I go out into the world and as I face the confusion, not only in the religious realm, but also in the political realm. I do not fear because this verse says, if you do... God of peace shall be with you. That the peace of God is going to be with you. And that's why I feel it's important in our ministry that we emphasize the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God rightly divided, especially, oh, especially that message that was given through the Apostle Paul. Now tonight we want to talk about missionary work. Missionary work. What is it? But first, we want to answer a question. A question was given to me some time ago, a couple of years, three years ago maybe, down in uh, Cedar Lake at the BBF conference. And the question was, why should we send missionaries to foreign countries when there is such a need here in the United States? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Huh? Now, now be honest with you, huh? Don't, don't be ashamed. I mean, I mean, you look around in America today, and there's no question that there's a great need here. But really? Now think. There, there, there's a need. I'm not going to deny that. The need that I see in America today is not so much of evangelism, but it's a need of solid Bible teaching according to the truth that has been given to us by the Apostle Paul. We have evangelism, quite a bit of it in this country. But did you know that there are some states in the United States that does not even have one Grace Church in it? Huh? There are many states that don't even have a church like you have here that stands for the distinct message given to Paul there's a need but simply because there is a need does that mean that we are not to be concerned about 
the regions beyond? You understand what I'm saying? It, it, since we have a need in America, does that mean that we do not have a responsibility to reach the Philippines, to reach China, Singapore, and these other countries? And this is what we want to answer tonight. This is what we want to see tonight from the teaching of the Word of God. And then we want to really see what the work of missions are, what is really the work of the church today. Huh? What is it that the missionary should be doing? What is it that we should be doing here in America today? What is it that we should be doing? And I think that when we answer these questions, you're going to see what I'm talking about tonight. So I say, yes, there is a need, and we should be sending out missionaries into the regions beyond. And I say, yes, we can, if we truly follow verse 9, we can do it. We can do it. Of Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. If we follow that verse, then certainly we can do the sending out of missionaries. All right, remember what it says now. Those things which you have both learned, received, heard, seen in me do. Now this is a command, isn't it? It is a command given to us as members of the body of Christ. And this command is, what shall we say, <laughs> given in Paul's latter epistles, if you will. What is it, some will say, his prison epistles? But I like to say it this way. Philippians and Timothy and Titus, these books are the last marching orders for the church. Now you might say, well, that sounds like, Ma that sounds like Mark 16. Well, yes, it does. Uh, a lot of people refer to Mark 16, you know, go ye in all the world as the last marching orders of Jesus Christ for the church. Well, we don't believe that. We only believe that Mark 16 is a, uh, is a commission given to the apostles, given for the program of God for the Jew. But we believe there is another program and we believe there is another apostle. We believe there is a program of God for the Gentile and that program was given to the apostle Paul. But Paul wrote at the end of his ministry several epistles. These epistles were given at a time in which he said, Look, I finished my course. I'm standing now across the finish line. That's what it means when he says, I finished my course. He's sitting there, if you will, across the finish line, and he is waiting for the crown of righteousness. And so in these latter epistles of Paul, they are the last orders that we have from that apostle for us today. And I think it's very important that we look at these and that we should see what is it that was upon this man's heart. What is it that, that he would have us do? And it's interesting, if you will, get even closer to the end of his life. If you will turn to uh, uh, 1 Timothy, turn there, will you? Second, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse, uh, 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 verse 4. Anybody know that verse by heart? First uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. Notice what it says. Who will have all men be saved and to come unto what? Knowledge of the truth. Now, so many of us will quote that verse to have all men saved. Now, that is a good missionary challenge, that part of it. But you will notice in Paul's epistles that he has a pattern, and that pattern is he will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. And I want you to remember that because we're going to be pointing that out to you tonight. 
that it is never to have all men to be saved, period. The two go together. To have all men saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. And the truth is what Paul says in 2 Timothy, I have kept the faith. I have kept the faith. In other words, Paul says, I have kept that which God has given to me, that message, that truth. I have kept it. And what he means by keeping it is, he himself received it and he gave it out. He gave it out. Now, let's answer the question. Let's take that first question, shall we? Why send out missionaries when there's a great need here? All right, I say this. Because the Apostle Paul, well, let's start this way. Let's start this way. Because Jesus Christ never stayed in one place until that whole place was evangelized. Number two, the Apostle Paul never stayed in Ephesus until all the crime and the and, and, and uh, murderers and robbers were put in jail until everyone was evangelized. He never stayed there. In other words, he never stayed in Ephesus or Galatians until all the needs was met. He never stayed there. You, you got what I'm trying to say? He went to these cities and he did something and then he moved on to the next city. But he never stayed in one city until that city was completely evangelized. Now I say to you that Jesus Christ also did the same thing. And you're not, you may be saying, now wait a minute now, Joe, listen. We're not living in, in uh, you know, during the time of God's program for the Jew. We're not living at that time. We're living under God's program for the Gentile. But beloved, let me, let me just point out something to you. There are principles of God. you know that? There are principles of God that remain true in every dispensation or every, uh, in, in God's program for the Jew and in God's program for the Gentile. They're the same. And what I want to point out to you tonight is a principle. Is a principle. And I want you to remember it. Because listen to me. There is a bunch of cooks out there in missions that's preying upon you for your money. And they're not doing what I feel is scriptural. I know of one mission in this country that has a big television program and they will pray before you these poor children skinny as a rail fence with big stomachs and they will say, send me money to feed the children. And yet that same mission seeks to undermine our work in the Philippines. And yet that mission pays their executives as much as an executive in the industry in this country does. That money that they, that they draw from television advertisements I would venture to say that half of it goes for oiling the machinery. You know what I mean? Oiling the machinery. And maybe the other half gets to the poor people. But let me ask you a question. Is that the work of missions to feed people? Huh? Is that what we should be doing, is going out into the streets and feeding people? Now, I could very easily do that. You come with me to the Philippines and you go into the city of Cebu where I live and we'll go down there about 10 o'clock at night you will see hundreds of people sleeping right on the sidewalks. Huh? Hundreds of people sleeping on the sidewalk. You would say, Joe, listen, let's get us a, a building here and let's get us a big pot and let us cook rice and boil fish and feed these people and we'll preach to them. Huh? Now you say, well, We'll feed them and then we'll preach to them. In other words, we will sanctify the, pre <laughs> the feeding by the preaching. Okay. That's where we make our mistake. That's where we make our mistake. 
What should we be doing? What should we be doing in mission work? And let's, let's just eliminate the thing mission work. What should we be doing? Huh? What is the Lord's work? What is it that God wants done today? Not only in the Philippines, but here in America. What does he want done? And we'll see that it's not something complicated. It's not something that you can't do or I can't do. Very simple. But being a missionary, I would like for you to relate to what we're saying tonight to missions so that when a missionary comes to your church or to you or when you see something on television, you might be able to evaluate it with the Word of God, not according to your emotions. You got me? Listen, all of us are emotional creatures. And I tell you, our emotions play a great deal. I mean, direct us many times. But listen, God has given us his word that we might control our emotions. It's not our emotions that control us. It's the word of God that controls us. I don't care how compassionate you might be. I don't care about how kind you might be. It's the word of God that controls you. Not our emotions. But you see, missions are very clever today. They know that we are emotional creatures, and that's why they prayed these big, these, these children skinny and big stomachs before us, because they know that the Americano is an emotional creature, and they know if they bring a kid there, their hearts will melt, and immediately they go into their pocket and start throwing it out. They never ask any questions. I have in my Bible right here a clipping that I clipped out of the Christianity Today, and it says that Gallup took a poll and found out that the American Christians are the most gullible people in the world. Gullible people. You know? Gullible. But we who know the truth that was given to the Apostle Paul, we should never fall into that trap. Because, listen, we will resort to the word of God at all times, and then we will say, Paul, what is it? All right, but tonight, I want to point out to you some principles, especially this principle of what we consider missionary work. But let's answer that question. Let's answer our question. Why send missionaries? when there is a need in America. And I say to you that the need is not the controlling factor in our ministry. Understand that? It's the Word of God that controls us and motivates us and directs us. Now, let's bring that down a little more. I said the Word of God. But you know, as well as I know, that when we come to the Word of God, we must rightly divide the Word of God in order to get our marching orders for today. We must turn to the Paul, and we must obey that verse, Philippians 4, 9. Those things that you've seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. And that's what we want to see tonight. All right, now, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, if you will. Let's see what Jesus Christ did. You know, all right, now, while you're turning, let me say this. Jesus Christ, we know, according to Paul, was a minister of what? Huh? Circumcision, right? Now, we know that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the prophecies in the Old Testament as to the coming of the Messiah that is, the ministry of Jesus Christ here upon earth. That Jesus Christ was prophesied, his ministry on the earth was prophesied. And we know that he came, and Matthew is a beautiful book as to the presentation of the king. In other words, Matthew talks about his king, 
his kingship or, or the kingdom and so forth. Jesus Christ came to the earth and he was the king of Israel. He was the Messiah of Israel. Now, he came to the earth. What did he do? All right, now, let's notice what he did here in these verses. All right? <clears throat> Chapter 1 of Mark, verse 35. Well, let's read verse 34. And he healed many that were sick of the diverse disease and cast out many devils and suffered not the devil to speak because they knew him. All right. In the morning, rising up great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Now, we could stop there for a while and talk about this because I think this is so important here. Here's a principle that is very important for us to see. And he went and prayed. Certainly in the work of God and certainly in the work of missions, this thing we call prayer is very important, a very vital need in the ministry. Here Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he came to this earth, he came to preach and teach the gospel of the kingdom, and he took time early in the morning to go out and pray. Pray. We all need that, don't we? This church needs it. Missions needs it. Prayer. All right, let's go on. We don't have time to go in that way. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said unto him, unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also. For, therefore, came I forth. It seems from these verses that Jesus Christ here was having a, a good ministry. People were there. Hundreds of people were there. He went out early to preach. The apostles came to him and said, Come, all men are seeking after thee. In other words, the people were there. He was out praying. And, and Simon Peter and him came and said, Come, all men seek after thee. And you know what he said? Let us go to the next town. Because I came for them also. In other words, there were people, I believe, right there in that place that were desirous to hear him more. But he said, no, let us go to the next town. Because I came for them also. Now, Jesus Christ, certainly he should have been concerned about Jerusalem. Because all of us know the prophecies in the Old Testament that relate to Jerusalem. We know that the throne of David is going to be set up in Jerusalem. We know that Jesus Christ is going to come back and set that throne up there in Jerusalem. And we know that the law is going to go out of Jerusalem to all the world. We know that in the future a Gentile is going to grab a hold of the Jew and say, Let's go. I heard the Lord was with you. In other words, let's go to Jerusalem. It seems like that Jesus Christ should have stayed in Jerusalem until all Jerusalem was saved or if we could use that term, until all Jerusalem was, oh, yes, was saved or converted or received him as their uh, uh, Messiah. But he did not. He came, he preached, and then he went to the next town. You got that pattern? Now, what did he preach? Huh? Let's turn to to Matthew, shall we? Chapter uh, 4. Verse 17. From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, he began to preach and teach the gospel of the kingdom. He began to preach and teach. Listen, that kingdom that was prophesied in the Old Testament is hand. It is near. That was his gospel that he went out to preach. And not only was he sent to preach it in Jerusalem, but according to Mark, he said, look, let's go to the next town 
I was called to preach it there also. Now, you see that pattern? In other words, he went, he preached, he healed the sick in the city. People, I think, received him. But then he went to the next town. He did not wait till every need in that town was met before he went to the next town. That's what I'm trying to point out. But you know another thing he did that's interesting? He chose 12 apostles. You know that? That is, he did not work alone. He did not work alone. He chose 12 apostles. If you go into back to Matthew, you see that he was baptized in Acts chap in Matthew chapter 3. You see that he was tempted by the devil in uh, Matthew chapter 4. You see that he went out and preached and teached the gospel of the kingdom. Then in Matthew chapter 5, he takes his apostles and he teaches them. You notice that? You see that pattern? Now, I I'm saying to you that there, there are some principles here that God is, is showing us especially principles that relate to the work of missions. And let me say the work of God all over the world. Now let's point them out to you. Two, or let's, let's just point out maybe three things here. Jesus Christ, he preached the gospel, gospel of the kingdom. The second thing he did is that he took 12 apostles, workers with him, and he trained them. And you know in Matthew 10, he sends them out, right? Sends them out. And then the next thing is that Jesus Christ did not stay in one place until every need of that place was met. He came, he preached, he gave a witness, and he moved on to the next town and preached and taught the gospel kingdom. All right, now, let's go to the Apostle Paul because... We have to follow and obey Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. You see, Paul is no exception. He follows a principle also. And I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 14, if you will. Acts chapter 14. Now, what did Paul say? Those things that you see in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Now, we have to more or less turn to the book of Acts to see some of the things that Paul did, don't we? And that's why we are turning to Acts chapter 14. But have you ever noticed in the study of the book of Acts that Paul starts out in Antioch in Acts 13? And he ends up in Rome in prison in Acts 28. And look at the territory that he covered. And then look at the work that he did, the work of planting churches and the work of evangelism from Acts 13 all the way to Acts 28. This one man, but was it one man? Let's see. All right, now, verse 21, I'd like for you to turn with me, please. Verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, there's that thing again I'm pointing out to you, not willing that any should perish, and when he had preached the gospel to that city and to come unto the knowledge of the truth and had taught many. You see the combination there? Huh? They returned again to Lystria, to Iconium, 
and to Antioch. We've got about three cities right here mentioned, don't we? Now, let's look up into verse 22. Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to what? To continue in the faith. Paul said, I have kept the faith. I have kept the faith. All right, you got it? And that we must through much, what? Tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know how in the world these post-tribulationists can get <laughs> the idea that this tribulation here is a great tribulation. For the life of me, I don't know how they can do it. You know that? What they do. But that's not what Paul's talking about. Because, listen, he says that through much tribulation we must enter the kingdom of God. He's talking about tribulation right now. Not the great tribulation. Listen, if we keep the faith, and the faith is, as Paul said, I have kept the faith. That is, I have kept that message that God has given to me by special revelation. If we keep it and we do not compromise it, we are going to have tribulation. Now, if you don't believe it, I can just tell you a bunch of stories. But we don't have time tonight. We don't have time. And Paul says time and time again in his epistles that there is a suffering connected with the standing for the faith. Whether we like it or not. And as we say down in Alabama, it separates the boys from the men. You know, back over in that Philippian verse, where does it say there? Uh, Philippians, um, let's go back there, will you please? Philippians uh, chapter 1, I, I, it, that, that verse doesn't come to me. I've got to look. Um, 29, right. For unto you it is given in behalf of Christ, not only to what? Believe on him, but to suffer for his sake. Now, beloved, I don't see a whole lot of suffering in America today. I see a whole lot of compromising of the truth. You know, as a missionary, I want to tell you frankly, huh? As a missionary, we have not compromised this truth that was given to Paul. But I want you to know about a hundred million times a thought has come into my mind. You say, well, how can you do it? How can you think such a thing? Very simple. Because, listen, I work in a country in which is about 52 million people. And millions of these people have never heard of the name of Christ. And I live right next to China, which is only an hour and a half jet ride from Manila right to a country that has one billion people. There's not one church in all China that teaches the Word of God rightly divided. Not one. I don't even know one person in all China that knows the Word of God rightly divided. One billion people. As I look at the millions of people in the Philippines that have never heard, and I look at my little old pocket, and I see $5 or $10 there, my desire is to reach these people with the truth. But we are limited because we do not have the funds. And I look over on the other side of the fence into the other camp, shall we say, and I see the monies that those people have. All I have to do is just throw a little baptism into my doctrine. And I guarantee you, overnight, my income would triple, triple, triple. Triple, that's all. In my house, my wife and I have two rooms that belong to us. One is my wife and I's room, and the other one is my 11-year-old daughter. That's all. 
We have a printing shop in my house. We have a mimeographing shop in my house. We have the office of the mission in my house. We have uh, 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 another room in which the other missionary, single missionary lives in, and that's all we got. Down the road from us, about a mile and a half, a Baptist general. They have a great big guest home, half a million dollars. And right down the street from the guest home is another big building they have for their office, a half a million dollars. Each missionary has a big fine home. They don't have any work of the Baptist mission in their home. They don't receive sick pastors like we receive sick pastors in our home. We receive pastors with TB, with all kinds. We have a room for them in our home. They don't have to do that. They got their big buildings and everything. All I'd have to do is just throw a little water into my doctrine and I could have the same. <laughs> but you know, I sure love to sleep. You know that? Huh? I really love to sleep at night. And you know, I have no trouble sleeping at all now. And you know, when people are saved under our ministry, I sure have to say, Lord, And I've stood so long for. We just keep plugging away. Just like the Apostle Paul. Paul spent, I believe, more time in prison than he did out once he started to teach and preach this truth. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. We're going to suffer if you stand for it and not compromise. I had an opportunity one time to join the Methodist Church. I, the bishop talked to me in the Methodist Church. The Methodist Church has one of the best pension plans in the nation today as far as preachers are concerned. They have a big old nice retirement center down in Florida. I could never do that because of the truth. You know, the truth is always going to suffer. The truth is going to suffer. And we have the truth. All right, Paul said, now look, you're going to suffer. It's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us. What about Paul? It cost him his life. It cost him his life. Now, let's go on. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And after they had passed through Basilia, they came to Pamphylia, and so forth and so on. You see it? Now, brethren, listen. Here's what I feel is the principles of God as far as the work of God is concerned. We go to a city and we preach the gospel. That's simple, isn't it? And people who are saved, people who receive the truth of the gospel, what do we do with them? All right, go to the church of your choice. Is that what we do? I don't believe for a moment. I don't believe in the modern day evangelism that we have going on today. I don't find it in the Word of God. This is what I call evangelism. He preached the gospel and he taught many. Paul went and he preached the gospel to the city and people were saved and he took those saved people and he did not preach the gospel to them anymore. He taught them about that special revelation that was given unto him and it is called the faith. The faith. And then the third thing he did was what? He ordained what? Huh? Elders. 
in every church. You see that? Then, when he ordained elders, what did he do? What did he do? You see that verse? He went on to the next town, right? Huh? There you have it, right there. Paul did not wait till Pamphylia and all of these places, Lystra and Iconium, and he didn't wait till all the people in those cities were members of that church. He did not wait until all of those members were, all those people in that city were evangelized. He didn't wait for that. Before he moved on to the next town, he preached the gospel. People were saved. He took those people and he taught them. And then, out from those that he had taught, he chose elders. And then he built a church or established a church. And then he committed the responsibility of that church to the elders and then he went on to the next town. That's what we figure, or that's what we feel, is the work of God today. Not only here in America, but in all the world. That is, the planting of national churches throughout the world. We are not finished until we plant a church. Evangelism is not the end of our work. Evangelism is not the goal of our work in the Philippines, nor should it be your goal. Evangelism is a method that we use to reach our goal, and our goal is a church established and under a leadership and the leadership teaching the truth. That's what Paul did, and he was very successful by doing it, because we read throughout the book of Acts of the many churches that were established under his ministry. But now notice, he ordained elders. And then when he ordained those elders, he prayed with fasting, and then he committed them unto the Lord, and he believed, and he moved on. Now you see, brethren, I really believe that we are missing the mark today. We have brought the ministry down. That is, we have, we have really limited ourselves in the ministry. We think that all we have to do is just get a man that has a little education, been to a Bible college and got a degree, and then we will call him as our pastor, and he will be our teacher. Well, that can be also, but that's not all of it. The elders in our churches are men of God that's ordained of God, men that should be able to get up and teach and preach and lead this church into the truth and lead this church out from its walls to the unbelievers. Okay. We have limited our ministry to one man, the pastor. But I find it interesting that, that listen, he, he, he says elders. It seems like there's more than one leader there or something. There is more that can teach and preach the Word of God. There's more that has the responsibility of the church. And it's these elders. And you know, Paul had the gift of picking the elders that God had picked. And you know, I really believe that a man of God today and I know in my own life that God gives us who have been called into the ministry a special gift. And I believe that that gift God gives us whereby we can pick out those men that God has put his hand upon to be leaders in the church. I know because I've done it hundreds of times. I have to look at our pastors, and there's over a hundred of them in the Philippines, and I have to sometimes pick out pastors to lead certain works and departments within our work in the Philippines. 
But I believe that God has given us a gift to reach out to those that God has placed his hand upon and choose those to be the leaders. So you see, the work of God is establishing churches. And when the church is established, then that evangelist can go to the next town and do the same thing. Then it becomes a responsibility of this grace church here in Menominee Falls. It becomes your responsibility to reach this city for Christ. You understand? And then Paul goes on to the next town and there he starts that church in Ephesus and Iconium and Antioch and then when he leaves it becomes a responsibility of that church to reach that city and reach that area. And those churches not only did, many of them did reach out, but they also began to support the Apostle Paul as he began his journey, as he journeyed on into the ministry. Paul picked up helpers, Timothy, Titus, and Silas, and so forth. And then he ordained those men to work in the preaching of the gospel, the grace of God. You may say, Joe, what about the poor? What about those children that you see? Well, I don't believe that God would have us to go out onto the street corners and start feeding all poor people. I believe Paul has given us instructions as to what we should do in Timothy. If one of our members has a sickness, has no money, it becomes a responsibility of the assembly to care for that person. If, 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 if a poor person comes into our assembly, receives Christ, and goes up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, then the assembly becomes responsible for those to help and to nourish that person. The assembly is to care for the assembly. Paul said, listen, the widows in the assembly, what does Paul say about the widow? Anybody know? Who is to care for the widows in the church? Somebody tell me. First of all, if the widow has children, the children are responsible. But if the widow has no children, then who is responsible? The church is. But Paul doesn't say go out onto the street corners and and pick up, uh, what is it, pick the, pick the widows off the streets. It's the ones in the church that we care for. The church's responsibility is to get people saved. And I don't really, honestly, I don't know anything better than we can do for a poor man is to get him saved, don't you? Do you? Anything? Huh? You see, he's poor because he's poor on the inside. He's just sinful on the inside. He's rotten on the inside. If that person will receive the gospel, I know, oh, I know, because I know myself. I know what I was on the inside. I know that I was a sinner and I was no good and I was lazy. You don't believe me? You ask my mother and my father. But when God saved me, and God called me into ministry, my whole life was changed. And then I looked at this thing we call work and responsibility in a different life. And I had more responsibility because I was cleaned up on the inside. And that's, that's what the gospel does. It cleans us up on the inside. And then when we're cleaned up on the inside, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes in and God and the Holy Spirit not only comes in, but he becomes our, our comforter. And you know what the comforter is? He comes alongside and helps us. That's what it means by comforter, coming alongside to help us. So that poor person has the Holy Spirit working with him and God working with him. Listen, he can't do nothing but succeed. Impossible. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to have a million dollars or anything like that. But at least he's going to be willing to work. You know, one time in the city of Cebu where we worked, you know, the Filipinos are like many Americanos and a lot of bums and a lot of bums in the Philippines just like in the States. And these bums... You know, these rescue missions sometimes, <laughs> they just make bombs out of bombs. You know that? Huh? Really? I had a Pacific Garden man tell me, you know, Pacific Garden mission down here in Chicago, the, that saw in here, whatever his name, he told me. 
that we're not going to make beggars out of beggars. You know, they have a responsibility when they come into Pacific Garden Mission. If they don't live up to that responsibility, he kicks them out. You know that? So when this in, in, in the church came one morning there in Cebu, in our church there, man brought his wife and his family, and he got up and said he came from Negros and a little another island, and he came over here to Cebu, and he didn't, couldn't find any work, and he was hungry, and Filipinos, just like the Americano boy, they just ate it up line and sinking. I couldn't say anything. I was sitting there, and, and, I, and I just had a sense that that fellow was pulling our leg. And so I just sit there for a while, and then I said, well, I'm going to let these people learn a lesson. So they took up an offering and gave that old fellow something, you know. Gave him some money, and he went on his way, and they never saw him again. He just came in and fleeced those people. But then another man came in and, and did basically the same thing, but I grabbed the pastor then, one of our, our Filipino pastors, and I grabbed him. I said, now, wait a minute. His name was Jerson. I said, I said, Jerson, wait a minute. Now, wait, wait, wait. I said, now, here's what I want you to do. You see our walls there, how dirty they are. You see the cobwebs there, and you see everything. You tell that man, listen, we will pay him. And I said, I will pay him if I have to. We will pay him the, the what is they have a minimum wage in the Philippines, how much you have to pay a person a day. I said, I, we will pay him a minimum wage if he'll come down here and clean the walls of our church. And so Pastor, so... When the man got up and made his speech, then Pastor Birmingham got up and said, All right, sir, I'll tell you what we will do. You come back tomorrow, and we'll let you clean the church, and we'll let you clean the walls, and we'll give you so much. Well, his, his, his voice didn't sound so springy then. So he kind of bowed his head, and he said, Okay, I'll do that. You think he came back? He didn't come back. Because he was a bum, that's why. You see, when you put somebody to work, that separates the men, the beggars, from the beggars. You know that. You know, in your own life, many of you have, many of you have had to face situations where you had to go out sometime and dig ditches, or something, some menial task. Listen, I was a pastor in Phoenix, Arizona, for three and a half years, and I took a little group there. And we were meeting in a union hall, and when we'd go in there in the mornings on Sunday, we'd take a big knife and cut our way through the smoke. You know. We had to go in and open the windows and blow the smoke out and everything. And I had to work. And you know what I did? I had to work as a janitor in a hospital. And my basic job was to go into the rooms of patients that had been discharged and clean those rooms up. And I was down on my knees many a time looking in a toilet bowl, scrubbing it with a brush. And I said, Joe, isn't this a beautiful thing for a pastor to be doing? looking at yourself in a toilet bowl ain't that you know scrubbing it it was either that or go begging now, i ain't gonna go beg but i was healthy enough and i i anyway i supported my family and i tell you it sure taught me some beautiful lessons and one lesson was humbleness you try it sometime, brother. Get down on your knees and clean a toilet bowl. But you know, I can really clean toilet bowls now. You ever seen your face in a toilet bowl? Try it once. I've seen mine many a time. But listen, God doesn't want us. God wants us to, con he wants us to get on with the preaching of the gospel. He wants us to get on with the teaching of the truth. He wants us to establish churches that will stand for the truth throughout all the world. All men to be saved. And then what? All men to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's just logical. See, all those men coming to be saved, he doesn't want them to roam around after they're saved. He wants them to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that's the teaching of the Word of God. Every missionary that comes into your door Anyone that comes begging for money, you should ask them what, uh, what kind of work are you doing? And the work is, are you preaching the gospel, the grace of God? Are you teaching the truth? Are you establishing churches that will stand for the truth?
that's the work of missions. When we get a church established, then we go to the next town. So I say, yes, let's send missionaries to these countries because we have a church right here in Menominee Falls. We have churches all over that can help us do it. We'll spread this thing out and we'll start churches in all these countries, all of these countries that will stand and teach the truth. I'm a strong believer in the local church. I don't believe, I really am very, very strong believer in the local church. When I went to Milwaukee Bible College, the local church there had the Bible college in the basement of the church. We didn't separate it from the local church. Every time we went to class, we went to a local church. Everything points to the establishing or the edification of the local church. Now, I believe that, and I believe that's Pauline. And I believe strongly that if we're going to be doing what Paul wants us to do, that that's what we should do. All right, let's pray. Our Father, it's been good to be here today, tonight. It's good to live in a country whereby we can open your word and teach it and rejoice in it. It's wonderful to live in a country whereby not only we can teach it, but we can receive it and then act upon it. And it's wonderful to know that each one of us in this room tonight, Lord, can act upon the teaching of your word, that you have not confined the acting or the teaching of your word just to a small few but that you have in this dispensation said that all of us are ambassadors of Christ, that all of us can go out and witness and teach your word. Now we know, Lord, that all of us are not called to be missionaries or pastors, but all of us are to go out and share the truth and how wonderful this is. Lord, you didn't allow the Old Testament saints to do it. You allowed us and how thankful we are you've taken each one of us and placed us into the body you never gave that position to anyone else but to us in this dispensation members of your body so bless and help us to be faithful tonight in the dispensing of your word in the name of christ we pray amen i'm sorry i've kept you so long <laughs>